Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everyone. Today, we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 25, Casual Friday. In this episode, we see some employees return, the sales department plans a mutiny, and Michael searches for an apology. This episode's cold open is pretty simple. It shows Kevin bringing in a pot of his homemade chili. He says once a year he brings it in because he likes doing it. He spends a lot of time on it, and it's a family recipe. Unfortunately, this time, though, he has some issues, and he spills it all over the office floor. I think what happened is that he had this huge stockpot of chili. It is probably enough for everybody in the office, and the elevator was out of order. So he's having to carry this huge stockpot up the steps, and by the time he gets into the actual office, it's just getting too much for him to handle, and it just goes everywhere. And the the saddest part is in his voiceover, he's describing how, what the secret to this is, how hard he works on it, all the steps. He dices whole tomatoes. He undercooks the onions. He brings together all these flavors. And in his panic, he takes a clipboard and then an inbox tray to sort of scoop the chili back into the stock pot off the floor. (laughs) And then as he gets to the part in his description of the chili, insane it's probably the thing he does best that's when he's literally slipping and covering himself in the chili it is a big kevin fail and it's a very popular meme now i always feel bad whenever i see that meme or watch this episode because i bet that chili was delicious it does look like very good chili and just hearing him talk about what he does and you know, all those things, he roasts the, roasts the peppers on his own and stuff like that. Like, he puts a lot of work into this, and then it is just all over the floor. Yeah. And I very much relate to that. I like to smoke meat, and so it is a an hours-long process, and I've never gotten, like, I've never had something that just came out completely inedible. Nor have I ever done something like, you know, dropped it on the ground or whatever. And it's like, well, (laughs) there goes that. Sure. But I can imagine that, like, just putting in all that work and then just having it be ruined in an instant would be devastating. Very much so. Especially because, like we said, it is a large quantity of chili. And that's definitely staining the carpet. (laughs) We kick off the main part of the episode with... Michael making a grand entrance, and you had to see this coming. Michael can't help just making things ten times bigger than they need to be. So today, apparently today is the first day that he, Pam, and Ryan are back in the office. It's very hard to judge. Agreed. Like, like the time what, yeah, like, is this, did... 
the buyout happen on a Thursday, and then they are literally back the next day. But there's also something in this episode that makes me believe that, no, this isn't the first day back. And it's the fact that it's casual Friday. Yeah. And Michael talks about how, you know, it's back and people should be happy that it's back. Well, Michael would have needed to be in the office to tell people, hey, we're going to have casual Friday this coming Friday or next Friday or whatever. Right. Charles is definitely not the type to be instituting casual Friday. Right. And so it is difficult to say why Michael is making this grand entrance when he had to have been around the office at some point between the buyout and casual Friday, unless, like I said, the buyout was literally the day before. Yeah, there's a bit of a potential continuity problem here. And like Curtis said, it has to be over the top. And so Michael has wrangled Ryan and Pam into his grand entrance. And essentially they just taped like butcher paper over a hula hoop and have drawn a huge question mark on the butcher paper. It sort of, I guess, goes along with Michael's... um, magician theme in some respects to where he is just enticing them as it's his big mystery and you've been missing this guy and who could it be and then he punches through the paper and says it's Michael Scott like they didn't know that he was coming in. And so Michael makes this grand entrance and as usual Nobody is all that impressed with it. And Michael is just, you can tell he is just beaming to be back in the office, back as regional manager manager of Dunder Mifflin. And his first order of business is to call a conference room meeting. And so everybody gathers and Michael is just being very, very weird in, in this meeting. I, this is, Michael is not quite bad Michael in this episode in terms of like how annoying and how terrible of a person he is, but he's comes very, very close. Yes, he's very annoying here. And in my opinion, a little revisionist history. Yeah. Some of Michael's more narcissistic tendencies come out very hard in this episode. That's a very good way to describe it. Because there's no point to the conference room meeting. There is a point. There's a there is a very large point. <laughs> but Michael, in Michael's mind. Yes, Michael isn't going to say what it is. He says that in this meeting he wants the employees to run it. He's <laughs> going to open up the floor and whatever is on anybody's mind to just speak it. And nobody really says anything. The only thing that comes up is from Angela complaining about people's outfits on Casual Friday. Yeah. And so they cut to an interstitial with Michael, and he basically lays out the fact that he was hurt by the fact that when he wanted to start his own paper company, no one but Pam stood up and said, yep, I'm coming with you. And he says that he's not looking for people to grovel or to come up with this big, grandiose apology, or to slip their wrists. 
but he wants kind of a smaller version of those things. So Michael just wants the attention here. Yeah, very much so. And this is where I say revisionist history, because he acts like because of the buyout, he is viewing the fact that they got this buyout from Dunder Mifflin as evidence of his genius and the genius of the Michael Scott Paper Company and that this was a great idea, when in retrospect, it was just incredibly lucky. Right. And so that's where he's feeling all hurt and wounded that no one was coming with him to you know, form this amazing company. But again, if you think back to when Michael was doing it, he didn't have a business plan. He did go to everybody, but he couldn't answer the hard questions. He couldn't even get funding from his grandmother. The only way the Michael Scott Paper Company ever took off was to undermine Dunder Mifflin, basically. But they were going to go broke within a month. Had they not been able to come to the table probably literally that day with David Wallace and Charles, it might have not worked out in Michael's favor, and he might not be back as regional manager of the Scranton branch. But he doesn't see it that way. And he is expecting this full-on welcome back, like 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 you said, groveling, we're so stupid sort of thing. But that is not how anyone is operating, you know, that stayed at Dunder Mifflin. Part of this is because the people that stayed know better, I'm sure, that Michael is probably pretty lucky to be in the position that he is now. And that things weren't going all that great. But the other part of this is that they are still pretty upset at Michael. Because Michael kind of made it personal with Dunder Mifflin and went specifically after those clients. And so Andy Phyllis, Stanley, and Dwight, and less so Jim just because of his involvement with Pam... They are still pretty miffed about that. Right, because not only is Michael back, as we know, but Pam and Ryan are back at Dunder Mifflin, and Ryan's an extra employee now as salespeople. And Michael says there are plenty of clients. Pam and Ryan are bringing people that they found while at the Michael Scott Paper Company. And that's where this outrage really bubbles up. Because as the rest of the sales staff points out, uh, no, those were our clients that, that you stole. These weren't homegrown clients necessarily for this company. And Michael makes matters worse throughout the day by giving Ryan Pam special treatment. He's still treating it as the Michael Scott paper company that just happens to exist at Dunder Mifflin. Like he specifically gets drinks for just Ryan and Pam, probably around the time that they would have done that in their own office. And at one point, he has a memory board of photos from their, what, like six weeks right? of the Michael Scott Paper Company. And it, I was just thinking, I'm like, when did they take pictures that they were all happy-go-lucky? Because I can't imagine there were many of those moments for that company. 
Also, who took those pictures? Because they're all three in the picture. So yeah. unless they use like a timer camera, which is possible, somebody else had to be there to do that. It's one of those prop department things that comes up in a TV show that in real life, you're like, it, at best, they have one not great photo of the three of them. And so like we said, the non-Michael Scott Paper Company salespeople aren't very happy about this favoritism that is seemingly being shown here. And Dwight takes it upon himself to organize the four Dunder Mifflin salespeople to try and get their clients back. They have a secret meeting in the warehouse, and I I believe it is Stanley that makes a good point here. And he says, why should they get to keep their clients? They all failed together. And that's exactly what happened to the Michael Scott Paper Company. Like you said, they completely failed. They were broke. They were going to close. And it just took kind of this fortuitous timing that Dunder Mifflin came in and bought them out. And people are rightfully upset about one of the salespeople being Ryan. I think there's some unnecessary disparagement about the fact that one of them was Pam. And they just keep saying, well, she's a secretary. What does she know? Now, I understand that people that go into sales might have specialized training. They could have a business degree. Pam doesn't have any of those things. She literally just decided she was going to be a salesman at the Michael Scott Paper Company and then became that. And her only sales have been from the previous clients. It hasn't been this organic pounding the pavement, finding and cultivating these relationships sort of thing. But I think the disparagement over the fact that she's a secretary or that was her previous role is a little overkill. At this moment, yes. Uh, In the future, that becomes uh, very warranted in my mind. Agree. And so Dwight wants action, like usual, He says that they should do something like kidnap Ryan and hold him for ransom. And everybody's kind of like, "Eh, that's a little extreme. (laughs) And Dwight clarifies and saying, we shouldn't do that. We should do something like that. And so Jim kind of has to be the logical person in the room here. And he says, well, what if we just talk to Michael about it? And Dwight kind of plays along but still pulls everybody aside and is like, okay, no, we're going we're gonna to mutiny here. Jim does try to play the peacemaker role. He goes upstairs, goes to Michael's office, where he is at with Pam and Ryan looking at their memory board of the Michael Scott Paper Company. And Jim tells Michael, you guys have to cool it with that. There are tempers flaring here. There are problems. Like, you're not reading the room, basically. Michael's not willing to give in here, and he further escalates it, especially after Jim says, hey, there's a mutiny forming. Like, this is serious here. Michael escalates it by asking the sales staff when they come back upstairs in the warehouse, oh, where have you guys been? And they lie and say they've been at lunch. Michael knows that's not true, so then he, Pam, and Ryan then proceed to eat everyone's lunch or just, like, take enough bites out of it that will force them to not be able to eat their lunch. 
The final straw comes when Ryan loses a client. And Ryan's not a good salesman. We've seen that time and again. He gets very nervous. He does have a mind for business, but he doesn't have a mind for sales, which in my opinion are, are two very different things. It's tough to, knowing how a business runs or how to run a business versus like direct sales is completely different skill sets, especially like a commission-based sale or like a cold calling sort of thing. And Curtis has done some cold calling sales for like a short period of time. And it just sounds, it sounds miserable. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I have a problem with like self-confidence or whatever. No. But I would say that I'm not the biggest like self-motivator either. And so, yes, in that position, like you have to be okay, not just hearing no, but like, just chasing dead ends and pushing yeah like in the job that i had they gave us this packet of people to call and when i first got the job i was sold on this fact that like oh yeah the people send in these cards so they know you're gonna call them and so you call them and you get lots of people that hang up Lots of people that never answer their phone. Lots of people that never return a voicemail. And even when you do get a foot in the door and you run through your whole spiel, you get people that don't want to buy what you're selling or didn't think you were selling the thing that you're actually selling or give you the, oh, well, you know, let's look at this and we'll call you back in a couple of months or whatever. And so... You have to dig through so many of those things just to get that one person that's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm good with this. Let's let's do this. And so, yeah, it does take a lot of self-motivation and just the ability to hear no over and over and over again. Yeah, not, not necessarily self-motivation, but not getting worn down by right, yeah. all that. And I think what was the nail in the coffin at least what I re recall is we went to this company party. I think it was like their annual party or something a couple months, a month or two after you had started. And we realized that like the top salespeople or like the messaging around how to do the job and the type of people that you were working with, this was such a big deal to them because they had like the night off. And you're realizing that was just not how you wanted to operate in a career and a job. Yeah, for sure. And so Ryan loses his client and Dwight overhears Ryan talking to this client on the phone and tries to interrupt the call and save this sale or sale, save losing this client. And... By the time Dwight gets the phone, finally, this person is hung up. And it appears that Ryan has messed up in a very big way. We don't hear specifically what it is, but this has been a 10-year client. Well, right. And, and kind of what I took from that was that Ryan 
this this person Ryan either called this person or this person called Ryan and they kind of made their feelings known like oh well I, th- I think we're going to have to move on which side note kind of surprised they're not getting more of these because if you think about it you have these clients that were Dunder Mifflin clients they now went over to the Michael Scott paper company for less money mm. and were just there for like you said, maybe six weeks, and now are back with Dunder Mifflin paying the higher prices that Dunder Mifflin... That's a really good point. Uh, ...charges. And so there seems to be a lot of instability there, and so you have to imagine that some of these clients are going to be like, yeah, I've now had to change paper providers twice in six months. Yeah, that's a really good point. six weeks, excuse me. I'm going somewhere else. And, you know, if, if Dunder Mifflin's main selling point is you get this personal one-on-one service and you won't get lost in the shuffle of the big box stores or whatever, this is kind of the anti-that. It really is, and that could be just the one thing that then pushes a long-term client towards, well, I was trying to get lower prices anyways. If I'm not getting this continuous customer service or I'm getting this whiplash sort of thing, will you guys sort out whatever's happening, you know, amongst yourselves? Like, leave me out of it. Right. And so back to Ryan's call, it kind of seems like this person is like, okay, well, I'm, I'm taking my business elsewhere. Ryan's kind of just like a, yeah, I mean, I guess if, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. He's not really fighting it. He's not He's not trying to figure out what's going to keep this person with Dunder Mifflin. He's just like, yeah. uh, well, you know, you've been a 10-year client. I don't know what to do. Like, he's just letting it happen. And so Dwight is not ready to just sit there and let this client walk without putting up a fight. And you can imagine that Dwight, Stanley, Phyllis, and probably even Jim are handling that call in a very different way. Absolutely. Andy struggles with sales. I can't imagine him doing any better. And I don't think Pam at this juncture, so early in her sales career, is doing any better either. Then the fact that Ryan lost this client sparks a great deal of ire, particularly from Dwight because it was his client. But Phyllis and Stanley jump on board in Dwight's defense here, especially as Pam comes to Ryan's defense, and then Michael comes out and tries to navigate the situation. And so this is finally the breaking point for Michael. He finally lets out what he was trying to get from the conference meeting earlier in the episode, which is, you guys didn't follow me when I left, and you you turned your back on me, and I I'm looking for an apology for that. And this kind of catches everybody else off guard because they're like, you want us to apologize to you? You should be apologizing to us. You stole our clients on purpose. You made it personal. And Phyllis really kind of sums it up in saying, you talk about how we're family and you came after us. And that's not what you do. Yes. Phyllis makes a really great point. She lays it out to Michael. You thought you were attacking corporate. You thought you were making this big point to David and Charles and the rest of the you know New York City office. But you know who the people were that got hurt the most? 
us, the people that you say are your best friends, like she said, the family atmosphere, etc. You took our clients, you took money out of our pockets, and then you come in here and you want us to apologize to you because we didn't follow you on your crackpot business plan. And you still have kept our clients from us and are giving them to two inexperienced people who followed you because they were inexperienced. And as the viewer, Phyllis's point hits even harder because, as she said, you thought you were fighting corporate. And if you remember, if you go back to the episode where Michael quits and what we talked about, he quits for basically no reason. Like, I, Charles come. Yeah, I couldn't even, like I was going to say, I couldn't even tell you why Michael quit. Because Charles came and shut down his party planning committee for yeah. the 15th anniversary. It wasn't even, again, the revisionist history thing. It was literally about his party and not feeling appreciated, and then he made it into something more. Yes. And so this, and so Phyllis's line kind of stops Michael dead in his tracks, and he's, he realizes that that's exactly what happened. And so he goes to Dwight to organize another secret meeting with the Dunder Mifflin salespeople. Jim is not involved in this one, though. Yes. Jim has taken refuge with Creed. Yes. And they try and work out a deal where everybody gets their clients back. And really, Michael gets absolutely nothing in this deal, and the Dunder Mifflin salespeople get everything. So Michael starts with, he gives them an apology, but he isn't going to give them their clients back. And the salespeople counter with, no, we want our clients back. And Michael says, okay, that's fine, but I rescind my apology. And the salespeople are like, yeah, fine. That's great. Perfect. <laughs> we don't care. We just would like to be making the same amount of money that we were making if you hadn't come in and messed everything up. The conundrum that comes in with distributing those clients back to their original salesperson is that there's only enough business left for either one of Pam or Ryan. So Michael is back to where we've seen him a couple times previously in the series. He has to let someone go or change around their position. And so this is kind of classic Michael here. He now has to make one person happy and make another person upset. And as we have seen before, Michael does not do well in these situations. He goes back and forth about who he wants to keep, and he calls on Jim to help him make this decision, which Jim is probably the worst person that he could have asked to do this. Exactly. Obviously, Jim's engaged to Pam. He's going to support her in getting the job, basically. Nor is he that big of a fan of Ryan. Exactly. I don't think anyone is, and again, as we... Kelly is. Well... Crazily, as we've said several times since Ryan came back on the scene, first of all, the fact that David allowed him to come back as an employee was just nuts in the first place. 
now he's here and Michael has to contemplate whether to keep him around. And it's like, no, this guy would never have been welcomed back to Dunder Mifflin after what happened when he was the Northeast regional manager. Michael tells Jim that Ryan is his number one choice right now because he went to business school. Michael really likes his hair. They get along well. (laughs) And Jim does lay out the, the cons. Okay, yeah, but he defrauded the company of money. He's never made a sale. Michael counters with some cons about Pam, saying she doesn't have any follow through. She doesn't have any experience. And Jim says that he won't say anything bad about Pam, which Michael feels like undermines his credibility. Jim's like, okay, fine. When she's tired, her voice can get shrill, which is not, has like literally nothing to do with her competency as a salesperson or whether she would be right for the job. But neither are most of the things that Michael put out there. For sure. The the pros cons list doesn't have anything to do with the actual sales ability. Right. And so Michael makes his decision and he calls Pam into the office and tells her that it was a very tough choice, but he decides to give Ryan the sales position. And Pam's a little devastated here. And she gets up and she's getting ready to go back out into the office. And Michael starts giggling because Michael is a child and he decided it would be funny if he told Pam that she didn't get the job when, in fact, she did get the job. It's sort of a callback to the pilot episode where he fake fires her for stealing post-its. Right. And so they get through this. And Michael says that he already talked to Ryan about it and he didn't take it so well when at first he told Ryan that he did get the job and then told him he did not get the job. And Michael apparently did not learn from that because he asked Pam to call in Aaron and he then fake fires her because no one likes her and he says it's just not working out. Michael does offer Ryan his temp job back, which doesn't make a ton of sense because that would have to be a placement through a temp agency, but Ryan's still going to be around. It's just like a tidy way for the writers to kind of put everyone back in their places. Yeah. Michael is not the only person having trouble appeasing people in the office. Toby is also struggling with managing Casual Friday. And to be honest, there are only a few people that really kind of step outside of the lines of what is acceptable for Casual Friday. Sure. The Dunder Mifflin guidelines for that seem to be at best very loose and at worst non-existent. Yeah, I'm going to go with the non-existent part because that would seem to be how they operate. Like you said, most people probably fine. A lot of people are just wearing jeans and some sort of polo or a sweater, long sleeve, something along those lines. Angela is offended by a lot of people's outfits, primarily the fact that Oscar is wearing sandals. 
I don't have a problem with Oscar wearing sandals, personally. I wear sandals in the summer. But to work? Yeah, I do. Not like flip-flops. I'm wearing right. like open, a well, open-toed shoe. Well, that's the thing, is that women can wear open-toed shoes. Right. Men cannot wear open-toed shoes. Because the only open-toed shoes for a man, I guess, is a sandal. Right. And so I, under, I understand Angela's complaint in the sense that, yeah, it's probably a little too casual for Oscar to be wearing sandals. Sure. However, Angela's complaint is she just doesn't want to look at Oscar's feet. Yeah. And Toby says, Could, couldn't you just not look at Oscar's feet? <laughs> and that seems to it's a weird reaction on Angela. It, she acts as though that never occurred to her. But at the same time, she's just like, no, I just want my way, and I don't want him to wear sandals. Yes. Angela has apparently also complained about Meredith's outfit. Meredith is the one that's really crossing the line. Andy's close. He's wearing plaid, like, shorts, which no one, man or woman, should be wearing shorts, even on casual day in the office. And then... Like, I don't know, some Abercrombie or Hollister type t-shirt, it seems like, that says... It says, ask, A-S-S apostrophe K, me about my butt. Yeah. So, oh God, God, I can just totally see that coming from, like, Hollister or something. So those two are the most questionable, but the problem with Meredith's outfit is that it's very short and it's strapless. It's a strapless navy blue bubble dress, essentially. It looks like it's a like almost like a a beach slip. Yeah, yes, it looks like a swimsuit cover-up. So Toby goes to her and says, Meredith, I gotta talk to you about your outfit. And she's like, what's wrong with it? She didn't see anything wrong with it. He's like, it's a little short. Can you pull it down? So she pulls it down, but that causes her breasts to be exposed. (laughs) Oscar has to tell her, hey, Meredith, your boob is out. (laughs) She calls everybody a bunch of prudes, hikes it up, but unfortunately goes too far because it's so short and exposes her vulva. Kelly is horrified, as is everybody else. And Kelly's like, oh, my God, where are your underwear? And she says it's casual day. Why would I be wearing underwear? It is it is an, an unfortunate and over-the-top, but a very Meredith sort of situation. Very comfortable um, in her skin, which is great. But, again, that is the absolute least appropriate outfit, even on casual day. I have worked in a workplace in which someone was wearing dresses that were often too short in a similar fashion and exposing either the, so if it was winter or fallout and it was chillier, this person was wearing like tights or hose and you could see the like control top part of the tight. When she would like bend over or sometimes she just wouldn't adjust the dress enough and be walking around in like 
you can just see that part. So it was very short. Then in the summer, she did not wear the tights. And when she would go to the water fountain or like bend over, you would often get flashes of her underwear, unfortunately. So that would be another outfit that is just, yeah, much of her outfits are just not like work appropriate. They're more like going out dresses, I would say. Again, people should be comfortable, but there has to be lines. Toby feels like his outfit is appropriate, and I would just say, I don't necessarily find his outfit all that professional. He's wearing khakis and a hoodie. Like, I know people wear hoodies sometimes. I don't personally wear a hoodie to work. I feel like that's too casual, but there are a lot of people um, in it where I work that will wear a hoodie. Yeah, it was not last year, but the year before at the place that I work that they really opened up the dress code. And it's kind of a, as they called it, like dress for your day. So if you are going to be in a meeting with right. somebody that's like not your team, you're going to need to wear business casual. But otherwise, you have you you can wear whatever you want within the parameters that they set, and so I don't believe. I mean, uh, it, it depends on enforcement, obviously, but I don't believe we can wear hoodies or like hooded jackets or zip up hoodies or whatever. We can't wear those, but I've seen people wearing as much, and I've seen people wearing like graphic tees and and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Again, it, it depends on the enforcement of it all. But yes, we have a casual office, if you will. And I, I wear jeans to work, but I try to dress it up a little bit because, one, I just want to wear the things that I have in my closet. So I try to do like jeans and a blazer and a nice top you know, in heels or something like that. Now, if it's really cold outside, I'm just going to wear a sweater and it's often like freezing in my office. So I'm going to make sure that I'm dressed for that. But there's something about making sure that you're prepared, you know, putting on certain things for your work day to get you into that mindset. Um, and I totally get casual Fridays. I've had casual Fridays at places where, you know, we were business formal, you know, throughout the rest of the week. And then on Fridays, we just wear jeans. And so this all really just comes to a head and Toby's had enough of it. And he just flat out cancels casual Friday. So again, it's just like, as we kind of just talked about, rather than like just telling people, hey, rein it in a little bit. Here's what you can wear. They just flat out cancel it. And so that really wraps up this episode. So let's go to the Annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. Brian Baumgartner did the spilling of the chili in just one take. They were going to give him three tries, but he did it so well, the sort of, you know, losing control of the stock pot and just it going everywhere that it was only on the first take. And he said that even after showering a couple of times and like really scrubbing, he still smelled of chili spices and onions and garlic because he was sort of you know rolling around in that chili which I'm not sure how like it was mostly on the clothes he was wearing that's kind of funny that they legit made chili like they couldn't yeah. just I don't know like food the food that you see on tv 
is like a hundred, almost a hundred percent of the time it's fake. Yeah. And so you would think that they could have found some way to make fake chili, but I guess they actually made chili. Hopefully they made enough that they could eat it. It wasn't all yeah. over the floor. I guess Mindy Kaling was so strongly opposed to Kevin dropping the chili in the entire cold open that she stormed out of the writer's room one day. There, I have no further explanation as to why she felt so opposed to that. And she thought she was going to get fired over her storm out, but she did not. But she did not approve of that cold open. Very interesting. Yes. We touched on it a little bit, but the only firing I had was Meredith for her outfit. Yeah. Um, in office, nudity is not very well accepted. And... Not the first time Meredith has been fired for this. No, no, that is true. So it's Meredith's third firing this season. It's her eighth overall. What is your Dundee for the episode? My Dundee award is the How Did They Build That? And it goes to Michael for (laughs) creating this fort out of boxes of paper in the warehouse when he's having the meeting with the sales staff to apologize and give them their clients back. But he's he's basically built four walls. And so I don't know how he would have blocked in that fourth wall to get them into this like essentially secret tree house of paper. And the best part of that scene is we get a little bit of a Daryl sighting because someone takes the forklift and lifts away one of the pallets of boxes exposing the group. And Daryl's just standing there staring at Michael and in a deadpan voice says, how many times have I told you not to build forts in my warehouse? I guess somebody would have had to make the fourth wall and then climb over, (laughs) probably Dwight, climb over it and then join the meeting. Which is a lot of work for a very quick meeting. Yeah. What is your Dundee? The sellout award goes to Pam because... In this episode especially, she takes part in a lot of things that normally she would have been like, really? That's a good point. Like, the it, it really, the one that really sticked out to me is her holding the hula hoop and being very, very into it <laughs> when normally like, she, would, should have, she would have just stood there and rolled her eyes and just not been, like, she wouldn't have said, like, yeah, and Jim kind of calls her out, like gives her a little bit of a look, and she just shrugs back. Yeah, and then like in the pictures of the Dun- the Michael Scott Paper Company, and basically just standing up for Ryan, especially like she has truly bought into what the Michael Scott Paper Company was, despite the fact she knows it was a huge mistake on her part and Michael's part and everybody involved's part. Yeah, she was in the accounting meeting. She was the one who called Jim extremely worried about what was going to happen. Like, yeah, the the revisionist history did not just stop with Michael. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Dwight, Phyllis, Stanley, Andy, and Jim because they, for the most part, Sounds like they got their clients back. And it does sound like at least all of them had one client that had gone to the Michael Scott Paper Company. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Dwight for a similar reason, mostly because he was the one that kind of organized all of that. That's true. 
So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.